Hi and welcome to the podcast you're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with the brilliant Cal Wilson and uh, we spoke about gardening and ageing and uh, craft and what do you do next and it was just a fantastic conversation. I always enjoy talking to Cal. I hope you enjoy listening to the conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. Uh, there are some announcements up on my Patreon this week, some sort of big announcements about what I will be doing in mid-October to the end of the year, and I hope you head over there, patreon.com slash alicefraser. There'll be open access posts, it won't be for subscribers only, but that said, thank you so much to everybody who supports me on Patreon, it is, it is incredible uh, that you do that, um, because it allows me to do what I do, and I am infinitely happy genuinely every day when I, when I have a look at um the support that I get there there's also a discord server now in case you want to talk to other people who like either tea with Alice or any of the other podcasts that I do the gargle or the bugle or the last post or the audible documentaries or savage if you like my work there is now a place for that and the link to the discord server is also in an open access post on the Patreon main page. That's kind of where I try and keep things centralized. Um, apart from that, I will be doing Will Anderson's panel show on the 12th of September. If you are in Australia and watching the ABC, um, it's, it, it's a fact checking panel show and it's, it sounds like a lot of fun and I'm hoping I'll have a lot of fun doing it. I'm also writing for the news quiz on the BBC radio. So if you want to listen to Andy Zaltzman say some of my jokes, you can do that. Um, in, uh, by listening to the BBC, listening to the news quiz on the BBC. That's all. I'll stop rambling. I'll stop plugging. And I'll talk to you again soon, probably next week. You're having tea with Alice. Hello, who are you and what are you drinking? Uh, I am Kel Wilson and I am drinking a herbal tea that I found at a hotel and liked so much I bought some for myself. That's amazing because often the things you find in hotels, well, I guess it depends Awful. on what kind of hotel you're going to, <laughs> but often, yeah, they're the sort of the generic uh, thing. They're cutting their costs on toilet paper quality or whatever whatever it is. Uh, so what kind of herbal tea is it? What What's the flavour profile? It's it's got cocoa in it, a cocoa kind of flavor in it, which you normally don't get in a herbal tea. That kind of feels like a milky drink kind of thing. But it's got a bunch of stuff, mint and chocolate or cocoa flavor. And I uh, tracked the company down on the on their website and you could only order in lots of 150. So I bought 150 <laughs> tea bags. It's a lot of tea. I mean, you were talking to somebody who found a uh, a bubble tea wholesaler when we went into lockdown and bought a two kilogram bag of white pearls so that I could make my own bubble tea at home. So, you well, know, I'm in, I'm in the right place. You are in the right place. Uh, what's the brand that, that it is? Oh, I don't even know. Do you want me to go and run away and get the, no, that's all right. Cause there's a, there's a kind of a chocolate tea from hotel chocolat in London uh, or in, oh. in the UK, which is a, a branch that won my um, undying love and affection when I was in Cambridge and very poor and running marathons. So I was like eating super carefully, uh, but you would always go into Hotel Chocolat and they would give you a free sample of chocolate, uh, which was the- Amazing. Uh, and they have a kind of a chocolate tea that's a tea bag with, you know, cocoa husks and things that sounds very similar. And yeah. one of the things I miss <laughs> about the UK. It's funny the little things that get you. I, I haven't lived in the UK for a million years. I lived over there in 1992, and I still think about brown sauce. Uh -huh. Well, like, you can buy that here in, in the ethnic section, uh, oh, <laughs> the international foods section of like a Woolies or a Co You can, I'm pretty sure. Pretty sure yeah, the I feel internet like will let you have it. Yeah, I, have, I just haven't thought about it in ages, but then I think, like, I think it's Daddy's. Daddy's Brown Sauce, which what a terrible name. What a very disturbing name, Daddy's Brown Sauce. I mean, whatever it's a euphemism for, it's not not something good. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I think it's called Daily, no, Tea Blossom. I think that's what it's called maybe. That sounds nice. Maybe. I, I would buy yeah. a, I would buy a hundred and something bags of something. Absolutely. Well, it's made, it's made me able to go, do you want to try this tea? And if someone tries it and likes it, I'm like, have 40 tea bags. 
which is so nice, uh, which is like one of the things that for me in lockdown, doing like a bit of painting, because I normally don't because I think, well, I'm not very good at painting, so I'll be wasting these resources, the supplies, the paint, the paper, the whatever it is. But if I buy cheap paints, then I'm like, I should get rid of this paint by using it. I should use it up. Great. And so that's me you, and like you a you like barrier down to doing crafty things. And has have once you have once you what am I Yoda? Have you once you've finished uh, your painting? Are you like I don't need this painting anymore? I'll give it to someone. Or are you like oh I have 150 paintings? It depends how good it is. If it's if it's very good, I'll give it away. Um, and if it's not so good, I'll probably keep it or throw it away. Um, yeah, yeah. If I give if I give it to someone, I'm always like oh this old thing. <laughs> Whereas <laughs> I'm like you know I have this odd. It's like with bowling. So my, my mum's side of the family are all artists, incredible artists, really mm. talented. And so I have this kind of fluke eye for art. So if I'll, I'll do something and then occasionally it'll turn out really good. And that's not me, but like just a bit, but it's like, yeah. it's like when you're bowling and you just get a strike out of nowhere. Like for me, it's all yeah, strikes yeah, yeah. or gutter balls. It's either completely unbearably bad or I've done something that I'm impressed by. And I'm like, how did I do it? You know, but there's no... <laughs> consistency uh in yeah the, yeah the product um i feel like i've got um an ability to play something for the first time really well but then never again you know like i remember being taught to play pool and having this amazing first game and then just shit afterwards just never returned to that that novice form yeah it's sort of the confidence or the sometimes you see open micers do something that's so brilliant because mm. they don't know how badly it could go wrong so they just yes, commit yeah. to something that's so dumb and it works because it's so dumb. And then ever after they would know that it was really dumb and so they would <laughs> never be able to replicate that absolute dumb confidence that yeah. what made it funny in the first place. I feel like lots of stand-ups have the same story of I smashed my first gig and then I went back and my second one was terrible. It seems like a... See, I have the opposite. That, that very my thing. first gig was so bad. And that's why I started doing stand-up because it was so humiliatingly bad that I thought this is something I can, that I don't care about, that I can improve at, that I'm bad at. Because before yep. that I would only do things if I was good at them or if I clearly had a, an inclination for them and yes, I thought yeah, that wasn't I, a very I, healthy way to be. Yeah, I have that, that same inclination of like I don't want to do something I'm not good at but that's the only way you learn how to do stuff. Yes, yeah. to do stuff that you don't get at. There's a producer um, that I know from years ago who loves riding horses, loves equestrian, is terrible at it, like just yes. dreadful at it, but loves it and does it. And I love that because my my inclination is to go, oh, I'm not good at that. I won't ever do it again. So there's this brilliant book that I have bought like eight copies of and given them away by Stephen Fry. Um and I don't know if it's a brilliant book or if it just hit me at the right time of my life. You know, there's so many things like that that you're like, this is, you know, the best movie ever made and it's because you watched it when you were 12. Uh, but uh, the, it's called The Ode Less Travelled and it's a it's the argument of the book. It's like a textbook for poetry writing. The argument, the central argument is if somebody's like picks up a guitar and is a bit shit at it at a party, like that's a totally allowable thing. The idea if you write poetry is you must be Keats, you know, you must be Milton yes, or there's yeah. no point in even trying. But there is this pleasure in fine poetry, in poetry that's just for a few people or just between one yeah. person and another or just for yourself even to record a particular emotion. And I found that like such a beautiful idea, the idea of being bad at something and enjoying it nonetheless or you know not net, not even thinking about whether you're good or bad just thinking about whether doing it is fun and if yeah. the only thing you find enjoyable in life is being good at stuff how much are you missing out on you know yeah yeah I, over one of our lockdowns last year I started making bagels and I did not master them the closest I got was when I just <laughs> left the hole out then, and then they were just interesting buns and I couldn't tell if I was a coward or a genius but I just really enjoyed the process of getting better and still got to okay yeah always edible but was just like oh no this is really great it's really good for me to do something that I haven't mastered immediately yeah and like it's something I'm trying to pass on to my son like it doesn't matter no one starts off at stuff brilliant it's very rare to take up something and be brilliant at it consistently 
And it's you crippling just as well. It. It's crippling if you're just good at something because then you, yeah. then you, then there's nowhere to go with that. And you see that again with like stand up. Obviously, you see people who are class clowns or naturally funny or the funny one in their group. And they are often quite funny at the start. And then they hit a wall because there's a point at which effort is important and they don't know how to apply that effort or where because yep. they're doing it unconsciously. They're not thinking about how they're being funny. They're just being funny. And some of them have a complete collapse at that point, a complete crisis of confidence because yeah. they don't know how they're doing the magic. Um, um, Josh Earl told me once, and I think about this all the time, when he was a kid he played basketball and his team were really great. And so they played, I think, for two years without ever losing a game. And then they lost a grand final and none of them knew how to deal with it because they'd never had that experience on the way through of, oh, that's what it's like when you lose a game. Yeah, I think sport is super interesting with that and you see it sort of play out in different ways with people. Uh, Justin Hamilton, who's been on this podcast before, loves basketball and loved it so much when he was a kid and he's quite short. So he just at mm. one at some point in the, the process of being good at this thing, just realised that he was never going to be very good at this thing for no fault yep. of his own. And you see that also a, a lot of dancers or ballet dancers particularly. You just, yeah. they just don't have the right hips for it or, you know, because so much of ballet is about this very lean controlled form, at least mm. traditionally, then, you know, you can get people in real trouble because they try and control something that you can't control, which is the yeah, shape yeah, of your totally. bones and end up in real sort of distress because they're trying to stay the shape that they were when they were 11. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, I think that's interesting with sport because some of it isn't about how hard you work or your skills even. Yeah. Well, We're even just... watching watching my son play footy, he's taken up AFL over the last couple of seasons and watching the kids that have got it, that are just naturally gifted and then the ones that you go, oh, you know, you're obviously trying really hard but you just aren't any good. Like I find that so fascinating and also watching him improve and like sport has always been traumatic for me. Like my early sport experiences were all awful. And so like I would rather avoid it if it's possible. But now I'm watching cricket and footy and basketball because of my son. Um, and and watching him and, and trying to impart to him that very thing of like, it's okay if you're no good. Like it's okay if you're no good. You can get better, but just because you can't kick the ball properly, it doesn't mean you won't ever be able to do it. And that's a you know, and I think he's got that same inclination of me of like, oh well, if I can't do it well immediately, I I just won't do it. Like, yeah, that something over, I fight against over um, over dialed up shame or something that you, you're yeah yeah not being good at it is shameful. When why should you be good at it? You've never done it before, you know. Yeah, yeah totally. But yeah, I think I think for a while there, I didn't know. So this is a thing about my character that I'm maybe going to reveal. Um, I don't necessarily know what I like. Um, and I, huh. I, I once spoke to a counsellor about this because I was brought up a carer and and because of my own personality or whatever it is, I quite like making the people around me happy. And there's the the the, the person I was talking to at this time when I was talking to this counsellor was saying there's a there's a film The Runaway Bride with Julia Roberts which I haven't seen, uh -huh. uh, in which she goes out with these men, and if they like poached eggs in the morning that's what she likes, and if they like scrambled yep. eggs in the morning, and the guy who she ends up with in the end at some point gives her this revelatory moment, this epiphany moment of you don't even know how you like your eggs. And so for me, like, I feel like that plays into it of like, I don't know if I like it. If I'm good at it, I must like it. Oh, that's really interesting. Yes, yes. Which isn't necessarily true because then no, all you yeah, like yeah. is being good at stuff. You don't actually like the thing. Yeah. I remember talking to friends recently and one of them, we all went to high school together and one of them was in like the Christchurch children's orchestra it wasn't called that but it was something you know like she and her sister were really high achievers they played instruments in this orchestra they were really great at athletics so they were constantly doing sort of inter-school inter competitions and all that kind of stuff and it was an absolute revelation to hear um, my friend go I don't want to be in that orchestra I don't want to do all those runs like 
but it was something that she was pushed into doing because she was really good at it. But she, she was like, I, I don't want to do it, but I have to do it because I'm good at it. Yeah. Like, yeah. My friend Charlotte Roach, who I should get on the podcast, I think I might have had her on years ago. She was a great, she was what she's like number four in cross country for her age group running. And then she got recruited for Team GB um, for the Olympics before the, the most recent Olympics and then had this terrible injury was run over by a truck actually oh my god um and just completely smashed her up and and then began this process of rehab and during the process of rehab was like i've been running since i was a teenager i've been incredibly good at it since i was a teenager um i used to give her massages when i was in cambridge i'd do massages for pocket change um because i was very poor when i was there but her muscles were like different from other people's texturally she had yeah, this right like supernatural ability and she said I just realized that I don't like it like I hate it wow I hate elite training as an athlete but because she was you know whatever from the time that in year six she went and did a school meet and smashed everyone and then everyone sort of promoted it she thought oh well that's that's my job that's my career that's what I'm going to be I'm going to be a professional athlete wow because I'm so good at it and it had nothing yeah. to do with anything. You know, she didn't exactly. actually she like did, what, it. What does she do now? So she started this uh, really brilliant initiative. I think it was called The Rabble. I'm not sure if it's changed, but it's outdoor workouts in parks that are gamified. So it's like for grown-ups. Oh, cool. It's like playtime for grown-ups. You go and you play right. tip or you play, you know, whatever number of just, just that kind of fun game, run-around game that you would play, and it's sort of a, a way of being fit and active without being – in the gym yeah um, yeah so well, that's what fascinates really me nice. like and you've just said that you've run marathons and things like I go through stages of trying to get fit and over the first lockdown last year I went for lots of runs and was going every day never got to the point where I enjoyed it but I also don't I don't have in me the thing that makes me keep going when I don't like something like like is it's unpleasant to run and be sweaty how do I keep going like I'd just rather stop like yeah you know, if you're poking yourself with a needle or a pin or something and you're like that's I, I don't like this I just won't poke myself with a pin anymore but with like <laughs> how do you get through that with exercise like I haven't got to the point where I've had like a runner's high or anything so for I'm me just fascinated it, by, yeah for, for me it's all about finding the thing that you enjoy so I liked the social life of running I make a joke about it at the beginning of Savage that the reason I started running was because I went to pick Henry up from running and there was a guy there that was really cute. So I just started <laughs> running to, to be around this cute guy, uh, which is sort of uh, sort of true. But also what I liked was the kind of the community around it and you'd run with friends. Um, and that was how I trained for a marathon was I'd literally, I'd meet a friend for an hour run and then I'd meet another friend for another hour run and then I'd oh, meet wow. another friend for the third hour of that run if I was training for a three-hour run um, because I just don't do things on my own in that way. So for me, it was like the sociable thing. But you know, if you don't like a long run, then like do sprints in the park or oh, something. Sprinting, just the word. Oh. No, I, I discovered that I could like keep sprinting. going if I had good podcasts. Like, so I listened to loads of podcasts. Yeah. Um, and I just discovered that Adam Buxton has this brilliant podcast called the Adam Buxton Podcast, where he interviews lots of great people. But he does a little chat at the beginning of the end when he's out walking with his dog and he's sometimes walking on gravel and so I'd have these moments when I was running where I felt like I was being followed because I could hear other <laughs> footsteps and I'd take my ear butt out and be like oh no no it's just um on in my ears it's not real the worst thing I've ever heard is that there are some people who have like a zombie run thing where it's, it oh, feels yes. like that sounds like the worst thing ever oh totally totally to run like and you're it, being chased is the worst yes I cannot imagine yes. anything worse no, and not, and how is that going to get you into any kind of zone if you're constantly screaming with anxiety? Um, the other thing oh. I found is I can't listen to podcasts that are sad while I'm running because then, like, if I get choked up about, yeah. you know, Grisscast is an amazing podcast, but sometimes we're like, oh, I can't hear about your grandmother. Like, just nothing sadder than someone running and crying at the same time as well. Yes. Um, or eating and crying. Those are the two. Oh, Multitasking yes. crying is always somehow <laughs> deeply melancholy. Um, for me, uh, when I was when I was properly training, like you know, ten years ago for a marathon, it was I would I would do some on the elliptical trainer, 
and that was the only place I was allowed to read fun books because at that time I was doing a literature oh. degree. So there was all this like heavy reading that I needed to do. But I'd go to the gym and on the way I'd drop in at the like um, charity shop and uh-huh. buy for a pound some trashy genre novel and then I'd read that on the treadmill and that That's was my great. like treat. Or, or if I'm running, I have to have, it has to be, a, I can't do podcasts, it has to be a particular kind of book, which is like an adventure book, so you feel like you're running through the story, but not so absorbing that you run into a tree. <laughs> like, yes, yes. It has to be a, it's yes. kind of a, a rollicking yarn, there has to be kind of momentum to the story, um, but it can't be deep or absorbing of your yes. intellectual capacity, because otherwise you get sort of disoriented. Yeah. The the other thing I found is that I can't listen to music because I need to I need to be distracted from the fact that I'm running. Like I, I want to ignore what's happening to me. So if I'm listening <laughs> to music, I'm like, and the song ends, I'm like, well, that was three and a half minutes. I've run for three and a half minutes. And then oh well, that was another three minutes. Terrible. Makes yeah, me I can't do it. You're, I'm exactly the same as you. And everyone's like, Oh, you gotta listen to your playlist while you're running. I'm like, absolutely nah. not. I don't I don't feel like music is a good way to pass time. Like music is a good way to become for me, at least, to be really conscious of time, to like be in yeah, the moment, right. yep, yep. or in my body, or dancing, and then you know the the time gets broken down into these three minute bits, yeah, rather than which flowing into some sort of yeah. grand arc, which is what you the want if you're was, trying to pass it. I was doing um, cooking a meal yesterday, um, and. I was listening to music for the first time in ages because normally I just do a podcast now. And I always used to love finding new music, but I was listening to something from my teenage years and I was like, oh, wow, I actually feel better listening to this than I do listening to one of the podcasts I love. For some reason, it was kind of just take, like whether it was a nostalgia thing or just not a taking on of something serious from somewhere else. But I was like, oh, man, why have I stopped doing this? It's brilliant. Well, it is. Uh, I mean, particularly familiar music hits these kind of parts of your brain that are like real pleasure centers. And I, I think that's a, yeah. like, it's a super powerful, powerful thing. Uh, what have you been wrestling with of late? Have you been oh, struggling well, with? Well, what I've been wrestling with, just the kind of, I guess, what what is happening to our industry during this pandemic, like how to keep making a living out of it. And also going, well, I'm 50. So I'm, I've sort of, you know, I'm, I've seen the end of how things were, I feel like, you know, like we're going to go back to gigs at some point, but it's always going to be different now than what it was. And just kind of going, what am I doing next? What's, what am I, what can I do that I really love, but also make money from it? Like it's, it's that kind of, um, yeah, just big questions about the future kind of thing, which I think it feels a little bit like starting again yeah yeah it feels well you don't know how much of the slate has been wiped clean yeah you know there was certainly there were people at the beginning of this pandemic people in our industry who were like I'm not going to do any online stuff um I'm not going to do any podcasts I'm not going to do Instagram lives I'm not going to do zoom shows I'm not going to do any of that stuff that's not the kind of comedian I am I'm just going to wait until live comedy comes back and now you know, we've gone in and out of live comedy, sort of coming back and then going away and then coming back. And then if you're on tour, the borders can close at any minute if somebody coughs and it's sort of a completely different landscape now. And the idea that it'll get back to normal, which it may do, you just can't bank on it though. No. And, you know, things like I had to cancel my Brisbane festival and things because the borders closed at the last minute. And just going, how do you plan now? How do you plan for something in a year's time when you can't, like like the whole thing over COVID for me has been realising that you, you can't look ahead, like you can't go three weeks from now I will do something because three weeks from now who knows what that looks like but in a week's time I might know what two weeks from then looks like. Yes, it's that kind of like the immediacy of plans. Like I was like, oh, I've got a, I've got a corporate thing coming up. I'll get my hair done two days before the corporate event um, and I'll postpone it and everything. And then like, oh, no, no, we're in lockdown now. We're in lockdown now, so that gig will have to be online and I'll just be grey for it. Like it's, it's all of the, <laughs> the my, my last-minute lifestyle is not suited to this pandi- pandemic. You know, like I'm a, well, I'll get that the day before I go and I'll do this the day before I finish. And then it's like, no, no, you've got to do it now while there's a chance to actually do it. See, I feel the opposite way. I feel like my kind of footloose and fancy free 
approach to things, leaving things late to plan them has been really a boon during the podcast. Because for example, <laughs> for example, I came back for six weeks in March, 2020, and I booked my flight from the UK to Australia, but I hadn't booked my return flight. Because I thought I'll do that later. I'll do that when I've been yeah. home for a couple of weeks. And you know, if something comes up, I can put it off or, you know, anything like that. So yeah. actually, that was a really great thing. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I didn't, I didn't write my show, my, my show Kronos, uh, until yeah. the 12th of March 2020, which is when I did my preview gig, I wrote it on the way to that yeah. gig. And that turned out to be the only time I did that show yeah, until wow. this year, you know, <laughs> So everyone else, I, you know, at the time I was thinking, oh, you're so disorganized. What a terrible person you are, Alice, looking at all of my colleagues who'd been doing weeks and weeks of previews. Yep. And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, actually, convenient, convenient for me. <laughs> Disorganization pays off. Yep. <laughs> I have to say there was a, a little bit of that of like, because Brisbane was new material. And I was like, oh, I don't know how this is going to go. And then it didn't go. And I was like, oh, that's, all right. that's good. I don't have to worry about that last 20 minutes. Um, which It'll is now come. being postponed until next time we do a show. Yeah, and then you can, you know, adapt it to be uh, suited to the new material. Well, I, like, I yeah. love working to a deadline. I think the, the oh, upside and the downside is that there is no deadline for this process. Yes, yep, absolutely. And I think it really is eating away at people at the moment. I think a lot of the kind of anger and um, madness that we're seeing is is people just not being very good at dealing with this level of uncertainty. Yeah. And the fact that we don't have a, we haven't been able to replenish our uh, stores of resilience and we haven't had long enough time to be like, oh, here's normal life where I can do things and hug people and go places. We just keep getting pummeled again by the same thing without, you know, it's like, it's like a boxer just getting hit every round. Like at the, at the start of the fight, we could have returned a few more blows than we are in sixth round. <laughs> yeah. We just haven't got the resources left. Yep. Yeah. Oh, sorry. To, to return to the thing of like, now I know what I like. I, oh, I don't yes, want, yeah, didn't yeah. want to leave people thinking that I still don't know what I like. This was a, this is a period of my life where I realized that that was not a thing that I knew. And, and part of figuring out what I liked was letting myself be bad at stuff and seeing if I liked it, even if I was bad yes, at it. Yes. Yep. It turns out I like yeah. heaps of stuff. <laughs> What's your newest thing that you've found that you liked? Oh, what's my newest thing that I found? That it was hard again to find new things. Um, but I've been cooking again, like properly cooking. Nice. Uh, which I haven't done since I was a teenager cooking for the family. And I kind of sort of thought I'd burned out on that. And ever since then, like w w when I moved out and started living on my own, I was like, I'm just going to do the basics. You know, if I, you know, when I, when I you just meal prep a thing, you stick it all in a pot together or whatever. But now the kind of the process of, cooking yep. I'm like oh actually I do enjoy this this is a thing that I like um what else uh <laughs> just various various books and things I guess whale watching that's just you see whales from where you are yes yeah well not from where I am right now but if no, I go for a little I, I can I can walk to the cliffs <laughs> that is a big window <laughs> I can walk to the cliffs that overlook the ocean and, and there's been whales Amazing. going past for the last few months so that's quite nice. Yeah, I've got over last year. I got into gardening. Like I've always been like, it's nice to have flowers, but then I'm always away, so I've never been particularly able to get particularly attached to gardening because I'm always away for a night or two or a week or a whatever. Yeah. And then last year, because I wasn't going anywhere, I just made this garden and pots down the side of our house and discovered that I really love doing that and that plants are like really slow low maintenance pets like I, I was, was like, obsessed with gardening as a teenager but at that age you don't have the patience for it because time yes. passes so slowly whereas now like seasons come and go you can watch a tree grow <laughs> yeah and you can like I watched this little rose that hasn't had a bloom for the past two years and then Chris got me this fertilizer and, the, and it still was finally starting to bloom and it was one tiny little rosebud and then I came out when it was just about to open and a possum had eaten it. We've oh. got this possum that, that now eats rosebuds. <laughs> and the circle of little, life. <laughs> little succulents and things. I was like, oh, I can't believe I'm so upset about, 
a flower, but it was like, but I knew that flower. Like that was, I mean, come on, little buddy, that flower for ages. You've raised it from the smallest bud to the largest. Oh, that's really devastating. Yeah. And so, so something not that I would have thought about years ago. Like it's really for the first time I've just gone, oh, okay, I get it why people enjoy planting things because you do see things grow and change and it's very meditative and simple and lovely. Yeah, it's very, very evolutionary as well. I think in some ways, like other than spending all of our time desperately, frantically injecting anxiety into ourselves via the medium of, of telephone, having so much time being in one place yeah. has has been quite good in that evolutionary way. And I think so many people turning to like arts and crafts and physical Mm. things is part of that of kind of. Yeah, and it's interesting too, like when the comedy festival got cancelled last year, which I think was a week out, like I was devastated as were so many other people and it felt like comedy had broken up with me. Like like (sighs) I was still in love with comedy, but comedy didn't want to see me anymore. And it was a real... It felt like a real grief for ages. And, I and just, Zoom shows are like horrible supervised visits at a gas station. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah just, and just lost any cre- creativity, just had nothing, like watched a lot of reality TV, baked a lot because baking is soothing and you can give it away. Mm. But just had no creativity. And then suddenly in this lockdown, I've remembered that I own a glue gun and I've got seven boxes of shit that I can glue with that glue gun. And all of a sudden, just creating nonsense headdresses and then putting them on Instagram has just been this real source of pleasure of just going, oh, I'm just making something for no reason. And that's really something like I mean, you do is immensely joyful. I, I showed my dad your headdresses on Instagram. And he was very <laughs> impressed. And he said, is she going to do an art exhibition after lockdown? Are you going to do a, a gallery exhibition of the headdresses? Well, of- it's, if someone else is going to organise that, that would be great. But <laughs> it's not going to be me. <laughs> Maybe this is the next move, Cal. Maybe you become an installation headdress artist. Maybe I do. Maybe maybe I do. I've been talking to drag queens about uh, stability issues for oh, my interesting. Head, headdresses. What tips have I'm you also- learned? From drag queens. Um, oh my god, I can't wait to try this. Uh, a sun visor turned upside down, and then you just glue everything to the sun visor, and you've got you've got a kind of built-in uh, crown, but at the front with the brim of the visor sticking up, uh-huh. and it's more stable on your head than the little headbands that I've been buying and just gluing um, stuff to. Yes, yeah, it's very exciting. But ha- yeah, how much pleasure out of making something that is pointless? Like there's no reason for it I'm not being employed to do it nothing might happen with it but it's just I've just made something really silly yeah sorry for asking if you're going to do an exhibition of it maybe that takes some of the joy out of it being beginningless and endless yeah it's just it is what it is it is essential in unto itself it's sufficient in itself yeah and then discovering uh how, how other people are enjoying them as well whereas I'm kind of going oh that's nice I, I literally am doing this for no one <laughs> but it's nice that people are liking it and also how weird it is that uh, I can order two kilograms of glue sticks because I need it and I can say it's for my work like <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother was a beachcomber my mother's mother and she would make these incredible dioramas these art pieces um, out of that stuff and she'd had five kids as well so she had like the detritus of generations of childhood yep. toys and when I when I see your headdresses it reminds me a lot of of the work that my grandmother did so uh, she also used to I, do these incredible um stained glass windows out of sea glass oh amazing by gluing sea glass to clear uh, plastic and yep. um, these incredible beautiful things amazing yeah super cool. what I what I also love is that um because I made one, I had a little ushy squeezy figures on a headdress the other day and a friend said, do you want some more? And I said, yes. And she brought around a huge bag of these little squeezy figures because she'd said to her son, you know, who would really love those because they're having like a toy clean out and he had too many. <laughs> she was like, do you know what we could do? We could give those to Cal and she could make them into something. And he was like, all right. Like a little four-year-old going, okay. Like, I mean, I'm like, I that is genius. If you have a four-year-old at home and you're trying to get rid of uh, any toys, Cal, you've just become a new figure in people's childhood, you know, like 
you know, go to bed or the boogeyman will get you. Be yeah, yeah. Santa Claus won't bring you toys. If you have too many toys, give them to the cow. Uh, yes, yeah. Like be part theory. of the mythological pantheon. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I love that I'm now an excuse for parents Yeah, to go, oh, look, cow really wanted it, so we gave it to her. <laughs> well, they did. Like people have, it is possible to invent childhood sort of mythologies. Like they did it with Elf on the Shelf. Absolutely. Much to my disgust. Yeah. <laughs> Normalising um, the surveillance state and all of that. <laughs> but I think but yeah, I would like, get one, behind a campaign to make Cal a new part of the childhood pantheon. Yeah, kind of like a tooth fairy. Like, So maybe you give me the toys and I leave you a tooth. Maybe it's like the other. <laughs> <laughs> you know, slightly unnerving and upsetting, but really, definitely unique. <laughs> or you leave them a subpar bagel. Yeah, yeah, but the tooth is in the bagel. I'm just thinking, just because, because I have. Have you, have you got an excess of teeth? Is what I'm starting to deduce. I, what, I'm, what I'm gonna, I, this is what I'm, the other day. I suddenly realised that not everybody keeps their kids' teeth. So, uh, is that something that, that your folks did? Did they keep your teeth? My grandmother had three children, and she had a gold bracelet inset into which were all of her children's teeth. Oh, oh. <laughs> just the most macabre headhunting well, trophy you could possibly. This has been imagine. a lovely chat, but I have to go now. <laughs> You gotta go find a goldsmith, really? am I right? <laughs> At least I just keep them in a little plastic bag and go, this is gross. Why am I keeping them? Yeah. There's like right. 90 individual <laughs> teeth clank, on a clank. gold gold bracelet. I never I, saw uh, her wear it, it, but wear it, but my dad said he'd seen her break it out oh, on occasions. Amazing. Amazing. Um we on Roadshow for the Comedy Festival one year went to stall and there's this tourist attraction there which is closed I think but still exists it's called Casper's World Miniature and it's a series of areas where dioramas of different countries of the world are and they are all spectacularly crap like it was a one of those wonderful places <laughs> that you go and you go oh you love this so much and you put so much effort in and it's just so uh, you know like so there was a diorama of Simpson and his donkey which is not a story I knew so Simpson the medic during World yep. War One had a donkey Used to cart wounded soldiers back to the battlefield. wasn't it, that Simpson was? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Um, and Simpson and his donkey were just a different scale from each other. So, like, tiny man, <laughs> enormous donkey, a tank. There was a dead moth in there that looked like a parasailer. Like, just there was no there was no scale being in the the um the Netherlands, which is famously flat and below sea level, was was on a hill. It was a windmill on a hill. That's um, so nice. Lo loads of loads of all these just hilarious, bonkers places. And then you walk into the last room and it was just full of sculptures made out of human teeth. <laughs> oh, so, no. Just like, oh, not no. like I was going, where is this oh, and when can I visit it? Yeah, it's amazing. If if you, oh, I've got a postcard of it somewhere, I should send it to you. Um, but, you know, you go through going, oh, I'm going to go and look at shit Egypt now or something. And then you walk in and it's just like there's a, there was a castle there was a hamburger, tooth fairy, <laughs> just and it's so horrible because, like, you're looking at food, but your brain is going "fuck off, eyes." That's not teeth. Like, like it doesn't want to believe what you're seeing. And then because it's food, <laughs> some part of you is visualizing what it would be to eat that, and you're thinking of teeth hitting teeth, like yeah, crunchy teeth. Oh, the worst! Just, it was so outrageous. It was there with with um, Tom Gleason and Mickey D? I think. And like everyone became hysterical. And so we ran out, we left and ran it through the gift shop. And there was an old man in the gift shop who was eating a banana, a mashed <laughs> banana, because he didn't have any teeth. Oh no. <laughs> oh no. It's like, what has happened here? Like, has there been a dentist who this is his hobby? But how has he got so many thousands of teeth? And sort of feeling like, oh, even when a courier drops off a parcel, he leaves with no teeth. Like, it's just this <laughs> a huge acquisition. <laughs> That's, um, I mean, that is so amazing. Maybe they weren't real teeth because you can get fake teeth to practice on as a dentist. Oh. That's a thing that you can get. You can just buy panels of teeth. Um, well, I'm writing that down. <laughs> that's a thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, so I did a show semi-regularly when I was living in London uh, called something auction. It was an auction show and it was sort of a fake auction. And the guy who was running it, one of the things that we would always auction off were these teeth and he bought a massive box of them. <laughs> 
so the sort of dentist, they had all different, yeah. Wow. I don't know what exactly part of dentistry they were for or were they were there with veneers or I don't know what they were, but they were just wow. a lot of teeth all glued to plastic sheets, little plastic <laughs> sheets. And you had to like pretend to sell them off to people. But I love, I love, I love a museum that isn't a museum. Oh, yes. That you walk yes. into the museum and it is just somebody's house who has a lot of one thing. Yes, I love it so much. <laughs> I love it so much. That is one of my favourite things to do when I travel is to find these yes. odd little cul-de-sacs yes. of personalness, whatever it is, and yes. you just go in and, and it's all glued to the walls. And it's there's a tea shop uh, museum up in Lura in the Blue Mountains out of Sydney that's just heaps of teapots, just heaps. And they're not very well organised and the ugly yep. ones are next to the pretty ones and there's no, you know, they're sort of tags on them but they don't really necessarily describe what they are some yeah. of them are just like plain teapot <laughs> you know, they don't have <laughs> also, date or an origin or anything like so no provenance and the underlying the underlying thing that you're understanding is I had to do this or my husband said I had to get rid of them yes like, it's absolutely this was the only thing I could do to justify this many teapots. Well, so we, I asked the man behind the counter, who is this eccentric old uh, man, exactly as you would expect. Yes, he was wearing a bow tie. Yes, it was too hot for a bow tie. Uh, and he was, so that he, the, the original business was an antiques business. So they'd go to estate sales and they would buy up people's old stuff and sell it on, but he could never bring himself to part with the teapots. And so that was the genesis Amazing. of this museum. And it's, yeah, it is just, there's no organizing principle and it's so delightful. Just yeah, look in and you're like, wow, that's a lot of teapots. <laughs> that's the whole experience. You're like, that is a lot of teapots. Um, yeah, this is more than, and, and do you use any of the teapots? Oh, no, you don't. No. <laughs> um, there's a um, shop down the road from us called Antiques and Mobility Scooters, which I... <laughs> I just really love. I love every time I see the sign, I smile because it's like, oh, you can trade in your antiques and get a mobility scooter. Like, but also they sell medical skeletons. So you'll drive past and it will have mobility aids and then a couple of skeletons and maybe a mannequin. And then it's always closing down as well. And I just love, I've been in once, it was all right, but I just love the, the, yeah, just the juxtaposition. It's like there was a, I think it was in Hobart, there was a shop that was called Toys, Guns and Ammo. <laughs> so just like the combination of stuff that you go, what your two niche interests have combined really beautifully in this. They just, um, they just banned Lego kits for making uh, your guns look like Lego in a state in America. Oh. I did a story for, about it on the gargle. So they were Lego kits that you could sort of build around your gun so your gun looked like a Lego gun. And presumably wow. it was dangerous at long distance and then also at short range if you stepped on it. But <laughs> <laughs> they banned it because that's not allowed um, to have. Guns aren't allowed to be fun, <laughs> I think. <laughs> um, yeah, because I guess like kids are going to look at that, aren't they, and go, how great, a toy gun. Yeah, well, that's that is what happens. So many, so many um, kids in America kill themselves or other people with badly, badly done guns. Yeah. But uh, you know, I'm not going to get started on American gun culture. It's so weirdly deeply embedded in their psyche. Yeah. I, I had this. Uh, now I'm going to talk about guns, even though we just said we weren't going to. Um, I have this theory that every country knows how to deal with its own natural disaster, but can't figure out how other cu countries do. So, like for me. I'm totally across earthquakes because I grew up in New Zealand and you're always having earthquakes. Whereas bushfires, I just don't understand. I don't understand why you'd live in um, like Hurricane Alley in America. Like why would you wear, why would you live where there are tornadoes kind of thing? And I feel like guns are America's natural disaster. Like that's the way they treat them because they're like, oh, you just can't do anything about it, but you just have to, you know, you get your kid a bulletproof backpack. Like the way that we would go, um, oh, you have an emergency plan for if the bushfire comes near your house or you know you get your house up to code for earthquakes or whatever it feels like oh that's just a thing that you can't do anything about they're just there 
Well, they have that powerful, powerful narrative about the constitution and the kind of the sanctity of the constitution, even though within the constitution is written that they should rewrite it every 25 years. They kind of forgot that. It's like how- oh, I didn't know that. It's like in the middle of the 1800s at some point in Russia, all of the Orthodox Jews were like, this is the outfit forever. You know, and at yeah. some point they just sort of hit a point where the historical weight of something overwhelmed the fact that it actually needs to evolve. Yeah. Uh, in order to be useful. And it's such a powerful narrative. And it's one of the really interesting things being in Australia right now, hearing all the debates by anti-vaxxers and, and people who've been buying into American cultural imperialism, all of these stories from America about our freedoms, freedom of speech. We don't actually yeah. have a right to freedom of speech in Australia. <laughs> we, we don't. Uh, it's not in the Constitution. But what is in the Constitution um, is uh, the government's right to make laws uh, about quarantine. Uh, that's... Wow. It's, you know, it's not the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Um, it's it's a real legitimate wow. thing. Um, I've got it somewhere here. Oh, where is it? Uh, section... Section 51.9, subclause 9 of the Australian Constitution, legislative powers of the Parliament. The Parliament shall, subject to this Constitution, have power to make laws for the peace, order, and good government of the Commonwealth with respect to blah, 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 blah. Number nine is quarantine. Wow. But we don't, like, because Australian history about Australia is so bad, we don't have that same national myth. And so the power of that yeah. national myth in America gets imported over here and you have people screaming into the faces of workers in Bunnings about their their freedoms as articulated yep. in the American Constitution. <laughs> it was so, so weird. Like, I remember doing social media for a show in Australia that had a, a Muslim and a woman on the panel. So the, the hate mail was something else. And yep. the number of people who said a variation of Trump's coming for you next. Australians wow. on an Australian yep. show, talking about an Australian show, talking to to me. Australians, about yeah. Australians. Yeah. yeah, who just don't have that idea of us. Yeah, so it's weird. sort of similar. I I think to people who read an article about someone and then comment as if they're speaking directly to the person the article's about. <laughs> so, you know, so it's like, um, I don't know, like um, Danny Minogue breaks her leg at Sorrento or something. And then the comments will be like, oh, Danny, we love you so much. Your music's so great. I hope you feel better soon. And it's like, Danny, Danny didn't write that article. She's it's not going to read it. Yeah. No. Or, yeah. Or so much of that, you know, when they're talking to a, a, a a Twitter account for something, it's only ever going to reach the intern, the underpaid intern yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. who isn't going to, isn't going to read it. The other thing, and I feel reluctant to talk about this on a podcast because it's a podcast specific thing. Well, there's two particular things that get to me. One is somebody who's listening to a podcast that I might've put out years ago or months ago yep. and replying to me on Twitter in real time as though I were saying it. Yes. So they're they're yes. answering questions that they've just heard, but I didn't, like I asked it a year ago. I don't know yeah. what they're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a very like discombobulating thing. And they kind of go, they're giving taglines to punchlines that I've made I, that I don't even yeah. remember. Um, that's a very discombobulating thing. Uh, yeah, totally. And the other one is responding to, so there's a few running jokes in the bugle and the gargle and all of that, which they'll do callbacks to in response to anything that I say in any forum. <laughs> you know, even if it's like something really depressing and intense, they'll be yeah, like, yeah. what about the flamingos? And you're like, this isn't about that. But so that, that kind of importing of your own, uh, th they're importing their own mental space into whatever I'm talking about. I find that yeah, yeah, really peculiar. Like they can't imagine somebody else's that brain. Not, yeah, not that you are not them. doing. Yeah, doing that at that moment. And also, yeah. there's that thing I think that happens too with um, podcasts and with TV. Or oh, it's, it's really stand up that it, that does it. You talk to people and you tell them stuff about yourself that you would normally only tell your friends, and so they think that you're friends. So they have a level of familiarity with you that you don't have with them and then they're surprised when you're 
confused about the situation. Like, like I, there was a woman at some gig afterwards and she was, she was like, Oh, hi, Kel. It's so great to see you and chatting away. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I, I've forgotten your name. And she's like, Oh, we've never met. Yeah. But these, she just felt so social relationships. They call that parasocial yeah. relationship. People yep. who it's kind of a one way relationship. The thing that I do for that is I have these really clear things that I won't talk about. Right. Um, so there's like whole areas of my life that are black boxes. Yep. And it's originally the thing was I wouldn't talk about relationships on stage because when I started there was a rash of women being like, why am I single or my boyfriend this or yeah, my yeah. husband this. And it was just every female comedian that I saw in Sydney at that time coming up that was all they talked about was dating or, or their relationship problems. So I thought, I'm just not going to talk about that. And it made me think creatively about how I would talk about stuff. Yeah, and yeah, so right. I found that useful. And then it just sort of became a habit and now it's a matter of principle. So I never talk about my sexuality or my relationships or my private life on stage. And that for me is like super reassuring because I can yeah, share right. more freely but because I have that really strong boundary, I know. Yeah, totally. I, th I think some people can lose sight of, of the difference between who they are and who they are presenting themselves as. Yes. Particularly yeah. with the online thing, if you're living social media life and you're putting your life up and you're putting a slightly idealised version of your life up, even if you're talking about vulnerable things, it is a version of yourself. It's yes. a story. Yeah. And I think people can lose, people can believe that story about themselves. Yeah, yeah. Well, I had a weird situation where I'd done a podcast um, with Terry Siakas. She did a really great podcast about parenting. And so I was on an episode of that and a really great chat. It was talking, you know, all about early years of toddlers and things. And then at basketball the next week, one of the parents went, oh, we listened to your podcast that you did with Terry Siakas. And I was like, oh, all right. And they go, yeah, we listened to it as a family in the car. And it felt so weird and vulnerable because it's like, but that's not for kids to listen to. Like, not that I was saying anything terrible and I'm really aware of my son's privacy, but I was like, it's just weird that your kids have listened to it with you. And now you've told me about it, but you've also not made a comment about it. It's just that like, just, yeah, like, what am I supposed to do with that information? Like, oh, we know now. What do you know? Mm, we know. Well, there was this weird thing when I put out Savage of people saying, how could you share that? much like how could you tell people about that stuff that really vulnerable stuff yep you know how can you tell them all this stuff about yourself and actually that show I don't tell much and I, yeah. I say you know in that show I never mention my twin brother yes right yeah like <laughs> there are you know there, there, so for me having that kind of carve out uh, specifically because Hen asked, has asked me never to talk about him on stage but like having those carve outs for me is really reassuring because it means that I have, like, I, I know for a fact that they don't know me, you know? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. And it's sort of, I don't know whether you find this, but I find when there are restrictions on something, it's easier to write to those restrictions. Like when you yeah. do a debate, like I find writing a debate so much easier than trying to do stand up about a topic I've chosen because then I can go, okay, these are the parameters of what I'm talking about. I'll just write within those and fill that space up. But when it's, if you're just going, oh, I can talk about anything. Yeah, it's, it's completely, that's why deadlines are so good. That's why it's so nice yes. to have. I, I was thinking this also about like truth and, and art. I have this like, have this theory about the way that truth is. Uh, which is probably going to be completely boring. <laughs> but I feel like, you know, there's reality, which is just everything as it is, right? That the sky is this and the temperature is this and these are the smells and this is the texture and this is the molecular weight and there's no way that you can ever capture or describe that in any way. It's just too much. It's everything, right? And so truth is the, is like you pick the thing that you notice. Like that you said, you're talking about right. yep. one thing, the sky is this color. You can say that and that's true, but it's not complete necessarily. Well, it can't oh, be that's complete. That's a really interesting idea. So what you select is at least partially 
down to like your preference and your inclination and your instruments. You know, you cannot tell the molecular weight of what you're drinking. Yep. But you can tell how it tastes. And so you're going to notice how it tastes. And when you say how it tastes, that's the truth. And then on top of that, you have opinion. So that's, does it taste good or does it taste bad? And so that kind of line of thinking I find useful when I'm thinking about truth, that that all truth is only ever a truth. It can't be the truth. Yes, yes. But that doesn't mean there isn't reality. There is reality that exists, but the moment you kind of notice something about it or pull something out, it becomes incomplete. And then you have to think about why did you notice that? Why is that the truth that you're interested in? Yeah, that's fascinating. You know, and then you see these discussions about people who who say, you know, when you're talking about an attacker and a victim, people are talking about, oh, this young man's life is going to be ruined, like the Brock Turner story. Yep, Why? Yep. That, it's, and then people get very angry. <laughs> oh, how dare you think about him and not about the victim? You're, well, why did they notice that truth and not the other yeah, truth? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Because it's not that it's a lie. I'm sure his life is really devastated. Like I'm, his, I'm, his pain is a real thing. It is a truth. Just in the, in terms of the whole picture, why is that the thing yeah. that's important to you? Oh, that's so interesting. It, it, make, it makes me think of um, uh, something that Nellie Thomas said once uh, about, uh, you know, there's that that old trope of women aren't funny, and she said the question isn't why aren't women funny. The question is why don't you find women funny. Yeah. And it was such a great reframing yeah. of that or question. Why aren't any of the women around you being funny? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you met any women? <laughs> yeah. Have you made them feel comfortable and relaxed enough to make jokes around you? Yeah. That's an important Oh, geez, you've got a big brain, Alice Fraser. <laughs> you've got a big brain. Um, where can people find you online and support you oh, and all of that? Um, they can find me. Find me on Instagram under Calbo Wilson. You can find me on Twitter, but I'm not there very often these days. I don't find it as playful as it used to be. Mm. Um, Facebook, Cal Wilson. You can buy my kids' books. They're called George and the Great Bum Stampede and George and the Great Brain Swappery. Um, what else am I doing? And I might have some headdresses for sale soon. Who knows? <laughs> An Etsy shop coming up. Stay tuned. <laughs> um, thank you so much for having tea with me. Oh, it's delightful. So nice to see your face. I get to see Alice's face, podcast listeners. (laughs) Sucked in.
We'll tie our hands up, we surely do. For Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lolly rifles all, lolly rifles day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away. Is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our hands up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lolly rifles all, lolly rifles day.